this week um, was was in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up. I don't know if it's the Lord or, you know, sometimes you're awake. And it was one of those times I couldn't sleep very well. And so I got on my Kindle and, and it's just interesting. I don't know when you guys follow the voice of the Lord. Most often it's not the really clear times, it's the breadcrumbs, right? When he speaks, it's often these, these little moments and maybe looking back, then you realize they're the Lord. And so I just was going through my Kindle and I have, I read several books at, at a time anyways. And, and for whatever reason, I just felt like to look back at different Kindle books that I had on my phone. So I'm just, just scrolling through them and I come to this, this book, Ecclesia. And for whatever reason, it's like, I'm gonna read this. And so I read the first chapter and something unlocked in my heart in the middle of the night. And, and it's interesting when we read texts over and over, like we read and in some ways, maybe there's nothing, and maybe not new information, but it's interesting when you're reading something that the Lord gives you a puzzle piece or grips your heart and you're like, I know I've known that, but maybe I've never understood it. And that's what happened and felt the Lord put me on this rabbit trail with Ecclesia for, for a few days and, and I texted Sam on Thursday and said, Sam, if you want, I, I probably could share a word. And, and so here we are tonight. And so that's what I'm gonna do is share about what God kind of spoke. This may be nothing new to you, um, but it's, it's what the Lord kind of showed me in the word. And, you know, we, we are in a radical season of transition, aren't we? Like it's kind of hard to process life before COVID, isn't it? Here we are 18 months and you're like, how did we get here? But we, we are in a radical change. And to think, and I think most of us would say, yeah, now we realize we're not going back to times before COVID, are we? Like maybe the first six months or nine months, like I don't know how long masks are here. I don't know how long COVID will be around. But when I ask people that are a lot smarter than me, they're like, yeah, it, things are here to stay. And so uh, a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe more, I heard this word that, that Mike Bickle, just I follow a lot of what comes out of IHOP. And Mike was speaking and he, he shared this, this word and now I've heard it many, many times. And I think it was a, an important word. I talked to Sam, he said, yeah, maybe a pivotal word for our generation. But Mike was in Cairo, Egypt, I think in 82, 82 or 83, but he was in Cairo and, and he says, when I've heard Mike talk, he says he's really only heard the Lord this strong a few times. And, and the phrase that he heard loud, he said, the Lord is changing the, the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. The Lord's changing the understanding and expression of Christianity in one generation. As I would hear that 10 years ago, I've, I've wrestled with that word a long time. And, and if I'm honest, probably it offended me. Because I'm like, well, how, how is Christianity gonna change? Like, are we changing doctrines? Like, what do you mean? If you just hear that, like, think, well, okay, so are we having a different gospel? And, and so I've wrestled with, with what does it mean that the, the understanding and the expression of Christianity is gonna be changing. Maybe some could unpack that more, maybe you've seen that, but I... I think as I hear Sam talk about the house of prayer, what God is doing, the reformation that God's gonna do, 
I've heard many people use the word we're stepping into a new era in the church. And in my own wrestling with, with moving and, and stepping into to things that I felt the Lord call and speak to me for, for years, I've wrestled like, Lord, Lord, what are you actually asking me to do? What are you speaking in my heart as it relates to the church? And as it relates to what you're doing in these last days to see the house of prayer. And I feel like this week was one of those like, I've had lots of puzzle pieces and enough to move and enough to, to say, okay, this is what I feel called. And yet I feel like this was this piece that like came as like, oh, it gave me full, fuller picture. And so it comes from this scripture. We're gonna read a, a familiar passage in, in Matthew. And so let me just read the, the whole passage, Matthew 16, 13 to 17. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So Jesus, pray you would speak in these words, Lord, that it, through my own words, but Lord, I want partnership with you, with your voice. So come, pray for clarity as we dive in, that you would speak to us about the authority we have as the ecclesia, your church, Jesus. May your kingdom come tonight. Amen. So this text, if we were to read it in different traditions might mean different things to different traditions. And there, um, I read one scholar this week, they said this is one of the most controversial texts in all of the Bible, specifically in the New Testament. So I'm gonna do my best, Sean, if that's okay, to avoid controversies, right? I think that's my right as a preacher. And so um, we have more smarter people in here. We can ask Sean or Brock. I can't blame this on Sam. But there's specific things that we're not going to address, and it's, it's on the issue of Peter and the, and the rock. But to understand the background of this story, we need to, to look a little bit at Caesarea Philippi. And this was in the area where Mount Hermon was, in an ancient temple to Baal. This area, through the caves, was considered the gateway to the underground. So if you were just reading this text and you read Caesarea Philippi, and you just keep going on and, and, and try to understand this story, and you don't understand why did Jesus take them to this specific area, you actually would miss a big part. So I, I won't do this full justice, but I'm gonna try to dive in a little bit. I have enjoyed through the Bible Project, through Nasser, and then reading um, The Unseen Realm by Michael Heisner to, to understand maybe a percent, a small percent of what 
the ancients and how they viewed the supernatural. You see, if, if I read that and you don't understand, it, it would be as if, as in America, if I said, hey, I was passing through the strip in Las Vegas. I took my family to the strip in Las Vegas. You're like, uh, yeah, I know what was going on, right? Like, I can picture, we know. Or if I said I was in Times Square in New York City, you know what's there. Or Skid Row in Los Angeles. Those speak to you. And so I, then I could tell a story and you have a picture in mind. You're like, I know what's going on while Matthew's in Las Vegas. Like, I can picture it. But if I go to another country, if I go to Burundi with Trav, they may not know if I mention the strip in Las Vegas. They're like, okay. Like, I'd have to actually describe that to them. And I'd say, well, there's lots of lights, there's gambling. I have to explain all these things to understand why I was in Las Vegas and what I was doing. And so that's what I want to do just for these few minutes. So in this area... It would have not been lost as the disciples. There was a whole narrative of what was happening in Caesarea Philippi. This was the area where Mount Hermon was. And so this narrative was in the disciples. So as disciple, as Jesus, this rabbi was teaching them, he was making points and he would have been walking and the disciples would have said, are you sure we're going to Las Vegas? Like, like you're sure that's where we want to go to this area? See, it was in Mount Hermon. If, and again, whether this was, and some of this, this is sure a theory and a belief that the ancients have. And I don't know how much you've studied Genesis 6. There's these texts in the Bible that you read and you're like, I'm not quite sure what was going on. Well, this is one of those places where in Genesis 6, it says the sons of God how they would have interpreted that. These would have been spiritual beings. They would have came down from heaven, mixed with the daughters of Eve, and the Nephilim were created. Spiritual beings, the gods of old, the men of renown, ancient kings. And we read about these, these, these beings, these giants, when we get to, to Numbers 12 and 13. Remember the scouting team went forward and they went to scout the land and the promised land. And they came back to give the report and they said, yeah, this land's really good, but there's one problem. There's the giants, the Nephilim, they're there, they're huge. These spiritual creatures, these kings, and, and so we know that story. Perhaps Goliath was a descendant of them. So the belief of the day was that they, this happened on that mountain. Also, there is a, a temple, a shrine to Baal there. And many other shrines were happening at this place. They literally believed that the, the caves had channels and areas where they could go and it would lead then to the underground. And the underground to them was under the, under the land. This was their view and so under the land where these spirits, they'd live and they would come in and out from this area. And lastly, then there would have been festivals, routine festivals where people would have came to, to bring their offerings to these gods as they knew they would come and they would 
um, as I listened to Nasser preach a little bit on this, he said if you read about them, they would have been really gross. You can imagine what would have happened. Perhaps Jesus came when a festival was happening. But that's the backdrop of this story. Maybe you didn't know that, maybe you knew some of that, but that's the backdrop that Jesus intentionally is walking and he lands right here. And so as Jesus goes, he, he begins to tell this story and I picture this mountain, everything's behind him. And the disciples are here looking and they're thinking, Jesus, you are crazy. They didn't say that. that. Of course, you have to go to your imagination or like that's how I picture. But in light of this story, thinking, Jesus, you're up to it again. And so Jesus comes in this area and he says, Peter, and, and it's a play on words because Peter's name means rock or some may say little, little pebble, or pebble, little rock. And he says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. This is the first time Jesus uses this word. It's the word ekklesia in Greek. This was the new name for the people of God that will gather. And this term, this ekklesia, was a legislative assembly. It's interesting here, the, the word choices Jesus had options. I think he had three options for ekklesia. See, there were, would have been three institutions for the Israelites that day. I think Jesus could have used temple. He could have said on this rock, I'm going to build my temple. And then they would have known, oh, he's resurrecting th this temple. Or he could have used the word synagogue, where people went to gather and heard rabbis speak. And certainly when we read the scriptures, Jesus was in the temple a lot. And he was in synagogues a lot, reading scrolls. So it wasn't like he was rejecting these institutions. It wasn't as if he, he ignored them, but he picks a different word. He picks a secular term to describe the people of God and who they were going to be. Th this word ecclesia simply, maybe in modern terms, as I was talking to my friend Jesse, maybe could have been like the city council. It was a gathering of people that would come to make government decisions. And so when Jesus is saying, you're gonna be my ecclesia, you're gonna help be part of my government, you're gonna gather as people to make decisions. Now the Lord did not discard everything that was in the temple or the synagogue. But he actually brought some components, certainly from the temple into us, we are the people of God and the presence of God is still with us. And from the synagogue was this central role of the scriptures and the fellowship of its members. But here's what hit me this week. It's interesting that, that he again did not use temple. He did not use synagogue. You, you see those words, what do they signify? Buildings. Places where, where you have to literally, they're stationary places that you go to visit them, to the temple. It was this big structure, the, the center of all of Jerusalem and all of Israel. They would worship there and they'd have to come. And so if Jesus would have said, 
we're gonna build your temple. Meaning they think, oh, we've gotta construct big buildings in every, everywhere to duplicate what's in Jerusalem. And he didn't say synagogues, these places where, you know, he could have said, hey, we're gonna plant synagogues everywhere, a network of synagogues. Again, places that would have had to have buildings. He uses this word ecclesia. I think it's a word, it was a new word to, to, to say that something new is happening, that you're gonna be mobile, you're gonna be a people, you're gonna gather as an assembly. You're gonna be on the go. Seeing this kingdom come, everything that I'm telling you to obey, you're gonna be on the go with this people. I think this is God's heart for us in his church to, to be mobile, to be the ecclesia. But see, here's the tension throughout scriptures. Is from the beginning of time, we love our ideas. We love to be wise in our own eyes, don't we? And so there's this, this great tension that we have that we love to build towers, don't we? And we see this from Genesis 11, that, that humans created this temple, this, this place of Babel, to try to touch, to reach God, this place of worship. And if we look at, at history and we look at our modern cities, we still do it, don't we? We're, we're constantly building buildings higher and higher to make a name for ourselves. And, and so this is what I think connects to Mike Bickle's word and, and while we're meeting in a building tonight and many of us tomorrow will be going to a building and so this sermon, the point of this is not to say buildings are bad. We shouldn't ever have buildings, right? But I think I wanna just talk about what's the heart of when we gather. And the heart's not to build up. It's not to collect. It's not to try to people to come and come to our meetings. But it's to be a people of the presence. A people of his glory that we would be on mission going out seeing the kingdom come. And so I think that's one of the things that Mike talked about and heard. Whether he would describe it this way is that's this understanding expression. It is changing on the earth that we have to be mobile at any point. The church, we could see it. We couldn't meet suddenly publicly. That could happen again. And so maybe we have to be ready to be more mobile, meeting in homes, being underground like other countries, being the family, being the people of God. So then Jesus then explains what this assembly is gonna do. And he says that he will give them keys of the kingdom. And by giving us these keys of the kingdom, he's given us authority, permission, and the ability to actually enter into the fullness of the kingdom and do real kingdom business. Isaiah twenty two twenty two says, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. And we see this further in Revelation 3, 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David? What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. And so we see this fully then in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. When Jesus came to them, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. Everything that I've taught, that I've demonstrated these last three years, you're gonna go do those things because I have authority and I'm sending you out. See, to understand these keys, we have to go back to to the beginning, to Genesis 1 to 3. and, And when Yahweh, when the Lord appeared to Adam and he gave him the original commission, it was that they would have authority, that, that they would take what was happening in Eden and they'd go and spread the life of Eden, the life of God everywhere. They were to subdue and to conquer. But in that one moment of sin, when their eyes got off the tree of life, when they got off the Lord and they, they turned to, to be wise, they said, no, we, we want to be like God and they took from this tree In that one moment, they handed their keys. The keys that was given to them. The keys of authority to the kingdom, to partner, were instantly given to the devil. And he carried those keys. He became the the God of this world. The reason that we watch destruction everywhere is because Satan's the God of this age. You see, keys are an important Thing. Keys say that I have access. I don't have keys to Bob's house. Now, Bob's friendly. I know him well. And so if, if I found out that Bob didn't lock his house, I could go in. It probably wouldn't be that weird for Bob. But if I don't have access, it probably would be weird for me to go take naps in Bob's bed, right? I don't live there I don't have full access to it but if in a weekend Bob said hey we're going to be gone hey Angie Matthew can you stay here's our keys our house is yours for the weekend what happens then see I can go in Bob's house then I can use his favorite bathroom if he has one and then it's not weird I can eat everything in the fridge because he gave me keys see when my son now comes home from college If we're not there tonight, we're gone. He can do anything he wants right now, right? It's not weird if he takes the four-wheelers out. He has access because he's my son. He has access to our house. See, in one moment, when Jesus died on the cross, he went and grabbed the keys that the devil had. He took on all pain, all suffering on him. And when he rose from the grave, he conquered death And it's as if he's waving at the devil. He's like, I know you think you're in control, but he's jiggling his keys. He's like, I have them. And that's what he says to us in this passage. He says, disciples, Peter, and and Peter was the leader. And so I think this counts to Peter, to all the disciples. And then we're disciples. I think this applies us. He's like, hey guys, you have keys of authority. So then what do we do with those keys? Specifically, Jesus gives us at least one answer. Perhaps there's more keys to the kingdom. We could maybe talk about fasting. Why fasting would be a key to the kingdom. Why service. And we could probably mention lots of things. We say, yeah, those are keys to the kingdom, right? To the breaking in. But Jesus gives us two words here. He says, you're gonna bind whatever's been bound On earth, it's been bound in heaven and whatever you loose 
is going to be loosed in heaven. There's this partnership. It reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done where? On earth as it what? Is in heaven. I think this is part of that. So the, the Greek word bind would be deo. It means bind to be in bounds, knit, tie, to bind, to fasten with chains, to throw into chains, to forbid, to, per, to permit, to declare to be, to bind, put under obligation, to bound one, a wife or a husband. So I think my guess is when you think of binding, when I hear people pray, what's the common way we use binding? We bind the devil, which says what? We're, we're tying him up. And we're saying, no, you can't come, right? And certainly you read those words, and, and we know that from Matthew 12, the one place where that really is used, it's the binding of the strong man that Jesus does. And so certainly we can use that word. But, but another form of the word binding is, is binding together. It's connecting. Think of how a mom has a newborn and she binds the baby to her with a wrap. That's binding together. Proverbs 3, 3 says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. What does it say? Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness, if you want to know, bind them to you. Be, be really close to them. Put them literally on here. And then Isaiah 61.1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to what? To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to what? To those that are bound. And so this is something we love doing, Brock, right? This is the binding of the broken heart. It's, it's wrapping them up, bringing healing to them. And then those that are, that are bound to the enemy, we're, we're rescuing them. They've been bound, they've been trapped. And, and lastly, then I, a prayer that I've done a lot is we can bind ourselves to the Lord. And so I pray this a lot. This is a part of my daily prayer. As I say, Jesus, I bind my mind to your mind. What am I saying? I say, wrap it, Jesus. Make me one. I bind my heart to yours. I, I bind my ears to your ears, Jesus, that, that I would hear. Bind my tongue, Jesus, to your tongue, that when I speak, it would be bound, that I wouldn't speak. And I do that all the time. So part of my discipline of prayer is to pray this, that I bind myself to your blood, to your life, Jesus. And then the Greek word for loose is luo, and it means to destroy, dissolve, melt, to put off, to loose any person or thing tied or fastened, to loose one bound, to unbind, to release from bonds, to set free. And I think this loosing, loosing can be to strongholds. Strongholds in our own lives, we should always start with us. And then strongholds we see in our neighborhoods and cities. And so we can say we loose the grip of strongholds. Lord Jesus, I loose if you're struggling with depression. Jesus, I loose 
depression off of me. I'm, I'm tearing it. I'm breaking the bond that's over my mind or my thought pattern. I'm saying I loose that off of me. Over our lives and over areas, it's clear that this binding and loosing is what? It's spiritual warfare. And the only way I do this is because what? I have keys. I have authority from King Jesus to actually do these things. And so let me, let me close. The thing that, that hit me again for the church, while there's lots that the church would do, lots. We preach the word, we worship, we share the gospel, we disciple. I wonder, as a people of God, do you take your authority serious when you're together? When you as an assembly come together, whether it's four of you in a Bible study, in a house group, it's a hundred of us tonight, we go to a big church of a thousand or five thousand, do we take that serious, the authority that King Jesus has given? Do you take it serious at home? When you pray, when you're the ecclesia at home, we're the body of Christ wherever we meet. When you're, uh, just help me think of the word. Is like, oh, I often think of the church as like when I'm at this place and in this setting is like, no, there's an assembly. Jesus says wherever two or three are gathered. And it just hit me fresh again. The authority we have to bind and loose, to take intercession serious. That Trav, when you're in Burundi, when you're with the pastors, you get to decide in partnership, of course, with King Jesus to say, this is what's gonna happen and this is what's not gonna happen. Do we pray with that? Do we pray? It's as if the sheriff, we have a sheriff badge on us. Do you see yourself in the kingdom as a sheriff? Maybe more, hopefully. Do you see that like actually what happens around me I get to participate with the King of Jesus and help lead people, Lord, help pray over my neighbor. We were praying for Broadway during the time. While we may drive down Broadway, it seems like there's lots of spiritual authority, lots or lots of spiritual oppression. When we go join the ecclesia, the assembly, we, we can gather five of us. We get to say, no, Jesus, not here, no more. We bind, we forbid sin to happen. We loose it from here. And Jesus, we're asking the kingdom would come. So I've been challenged by this. Jess and I, we're talking, it's like, do we take what we're doing in Hillsborough serious to say, no, we're gonna be the ecclesia. We're gonna be the body of Christ. We're gonna be the family and we're gonna step into this authority. I'm gonna pray and pause this and then we'll close with a, a little bit of lab time. Jesus, we thank you for this text. God, I'm just asking again. Where we've maybe not seen our authority. For whatever reason, Jesus, I pray tonight you would increase the authority in the room that you would increase power, anointing Jesus, 
deep within us as we spend time that you would fill us with, with the power of the spirit and that we would lay hold, Jesus, of the keys of the kingdom. And so just come and minister, Jesus. Yeah, even for a few minutes here, Lord Jesus, as we close. In your name, amen. Here's what I would like to do. Um, We're gonna practice this together. One of the things, I've probably shared this before, but but I've, I've felt it in this season and I've talked to many others that have felt the spirit of intimidation. They felt that the enemy's lying and, and coming to, to pass sins, pass things that I think we're getting close to seeing more of the kingdom come. I think we're, we're, we're seeing revival want to break out. I think it is happening, but there is, I think, intimidation that's being happened. Lies from the enemy, lies, lies, lies to try to keep us from stepping into our authority. And so just as I was praying there, I wanna, I wanna pray. We're gonna do actual binding and loosing. We're gonna model this. So if you felt in the last weeks, you say, yeah, I've been, yeah, I've felt that mocking voice. Like in an unusual way, you've, you know, it may be always there in some ways, but you're like, yeah, I can't get over it. The enemy's mocking me in a real way. And you feel intimidated, you feel weak, you feel like I can't do your assignment. I'm actually, we don't always do this, but have you stand tonight and we're gonna do, do some ministry. So if that's anybody, you feel that, would you be willing to stand? If anybody, does that relate to anybody? The mocking spirit of the enemy, any intimidation? No one, you guys are all perfect tonight. All right, we're gonna do it anyways. We're gonna pray it as a group. How about that? And so just, yeah, even think, Jesus, yeah, just show places maybe where we have partner. You, if you feel like you know people that have, maybe we can do even intercession for others around us. Places where you know the enemy's coming to, to, to leaders. And so just take a minute just to pray right now and ask the Lord, where, are you, where does he want you to do warfare? Is it, for your own life or is there somebody specifically that you're gonna do warfare for? So just, as you give him, just whether you're, you're, if it's for yourself or somebody just start interceding if it's your own voice or you know, the voice of the enemy coming, then just give that to the Lord, surrender it to him. Just say, thank you, Jesus, for the keys to the kingdom that I have to gain victory in my own life tonight or as you battle for somebody else tonight. Okay, so let's take the keys. And so it's just first, I didn't mention this, but the first thing is always just to repent. And so if it's your own thing, just say, Jesus, I repent of believing this voice. I repent of my own participation.
or if you're praying for somebody else, say, Jesus, we just repent on behalf of their sin. We just plead the blood of Jesus for this situation. And so then we just loose off anything, God, of us. Loose off anything that is not of you. Any voices that have came to us, to leaders, to people around us, we just say no, we reject those in the name of Jesus. We loose them off. So just take some time to loose off anything in your own life or again, over the city you're praying for, the person you're praying, just loose that off of them. And then we, what's the opposite of what you're loosing? If it's a mocking spirit or if it's something simple, uh, you know, something else, then you just would pray the opposite. You say, I bind myself to this. So if you prayed off a, a mocking spirit, you bind myself to the truth of Jesus, to your voice. And so if you're praying over some, you're just bind, bind their mind to the mind of Christ, to the hope in Jesus. Just pray over them or yourself. And then the last, just say, Jesus, if there was anything, anything in the spirit realm, we bind up that spirit and we say to be gone in the name of Jesus, to go to the foot of Jesus. Any spirit that maybe is clouding speaking to you or somebody else. We just say in the name of Jesus, we bind that spirit. And we send that spirit to the foot of Jesus by the authority of you, Jesus, that you have given to us. God, I just pray you'd help us with these keys. Give us this victory. Can everybody be standing? Everybody can stand, please, as we close. We're gonna do one, one last thing together. So let's just pray over our minds and our bodies. So just, let's just do that together, okay? If you've never done it, can practice with, with me. So say, I bind my mind to the mind of Christ. I bind my thoughts to your thoughts, Jesus. I bind my ears. I bind my ears to hear your, your voice, Jesus. Bind my voice, by my voice to, to speak only what you would have me say. I bind my hands to the hands of Jesus, that I would do the works of Jesus. And I bind my feet to your feet, Jesus, that they would be the gospel shoes of peace. So Jesus, I just bless us tonight. Send us forth in the power of your spirit, Jesus, that we'd walk Again, as sons, as daughters, as the bride, Lord, pray for the church in Wichita. Pray that we could truly be the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones, that you would give us authority, God. Bless the church tomorrow. Bless the ecclesia. Wherever she meets this bride, God, continue to speak, God. Give wisdom to pastors, to leaders, to shepherds in our city. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have a great night.